This is going to be part two of what I started last month with uh, a comparison of heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. So we're going to do a little bit of review because that's what I like to do. Just ask the teenagers. Every Sunday we review what we learned the week before. Not a bad practice to have. So reviewing from last month, the comparison of earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom revolved around our relationships. And if you remember, earthly wisdom comes from and it has its roots in our selfishness. And that earthly wisdom, when it, we revolve around selfishness in our relationships, the first conflict we have is with ourselves. And we wrestle between what, what God, our spirit wants, and what our, our flesh wants. And we have this wrestling that goes on. And when we give in to the self, then that's going to lead to conflicts in our relationships with other people. And that's what James says, that we have these fightings and wars that go on a lot of times because I, what I want is more important than what this other person needs. And then finally, and ultimately, it leads to a conflict or a war with God of which we, not in words, but in actions, tell God, hey, what I desire, what I want is more important than what you are inviting me to come into, what you're inviting me to experience. And we put our friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. Heavenly wisdom all revolves around God's grace. When we humble ourselves and we come serious about our sin, we see that I have this friendship with the world. That's not supposed to be their way. I need that friendship with God. God offers, it says, more grace. And when we experience God's grace, then our relationships with others allows us to be able to extend that grace to other people. And we experience God's amazing grace, and we show others God's amazing grace. Well, today we're going to look at the second part of what James talks about in James chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, when it comes to our plans, when it comes to our plans. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to James chapter 4. James starts off with a phrase, and the King James uses it this way. He says, go to now. If you have a NASB or an ESV Bible, it says, listen now. Put it in modern day terms. You need to actively listen. Pay attention. Don't miss this. This is important. Matter of fact, I think if James was having a face-to-face -face with us, he might even do some hand motions. Hey, right here, listen. Pay attention very closely. And it wouldn't be done in anger, but it would be done in a sense of urgency. This is vital. This is important. You do not want to miss this. Why? Why would James start off with this go-to now? Listen actively. Well, remember, one of the big concerns that James has for the church that he's writing to, those brothers and sisters that are scattered abroad, one of the big concerns that he has is that they say that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they're not saved. They don't have that relationship. And he doesn't want them to go through their whole life and be pretenders. He wants them to be partakers of that eternal life that Jesus freely offers. So keep that in mind as we go through this passage, and we'll come back to that in just a little bit. So comes the plans. All right, so let, let, let's see what kind of group we're in. All right, there's, there's a couple planners here, all right? All right, some of us, if I ask you, what are you doing this week? Some of us, I have no idea. I'm totally clueless what I'm going to be doing this week. Uh, it depends on what the week brings. I'll see how I feel like, that kind of stuff. There are some people that plan that way. 
Now, the nice thing about if you're a planner that way is you're very flexible. You're very flexible. But on the other hand, the danger of that is what? You get nothing done. You're procrastinating. You're lazy. That kind of stuff. Now, teenagers, I'm not going to pick on you much, but sometimes that's the way you plan your weekends. Right? What time are you going to get up? Oh, it depends on how late I stay up the night before. And, you know, teenagers, young adults sometimes will go that way. Um, probably not the best way to plan, right? Now, on the other extreme, some of us are very detailed person. I ask what you're doing this week. You pull your phone out or you whip out a big calendar and say, okay, 7 o'clock, I am waking up from 7 to 7.15. I'm getting ready from 7.15 to 7.30. I'm yelling at the kids trying to get them out of bed from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. We're rushing around getting breakfast, getting them ready to go. 8 o'clock, they get on the bus from 8 to 8.30. I'm doing my workout from 8.30 to, you're very detailed. Every little minute of the day is laid out to T. I ask, hey, hey, can we get together, have lunch, and that kind of stuff. Well, let me look at my calendar. I can fit you in in two months for about half hour. Will that work for you? So, of course, we know what the danger is of being a planner that way, right? There's no flexibility, whatever. And probably even deeper problem with that, whole lot of stress. Whole lot of stress because, guess what? Plans don't always go the way we want them to go, correct? Well, here, we're going to get a great model for a plan. As a matter of fact, if we were teaching Business 101, if I was teaching a business class, James chapter 4, verse 13, would be a pretty good model to start with. Let me explain. Let's read it. James says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such a city. We're going to continue there a year. We're going to buy and sell and get gain. I mean, check this plan out. He's got the win, right? It's going to be today or tomorrow. There's going to be a time we're going to be doing this. He's got the where. We're going to go into such a city. He's got the how long. We're going to, this business plan is one year. What we're going to be doing, we're going to buy and sell. And then we have the purpose, the why, going to get gain. Now, we can add a little bit more details to this, but as a structure for a plan, it's not that bad. So what's the problem? Well, throughout Scripture, I think Scripture is clear. It teaches us to plan and prepare, correct? All you have to do is go to the book of Proverbs, and it tells us to plan. It tells us to prepare. Uh, verse in uh, Matthew, I believe, it tells us to count the cost before we do something. So planning and preparing is not the problem. But as we get deeper into the text, the text is going to expose the earthly wisdom, the problem with the plan. Let's go to verse 14. It says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes it away. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you know, do not know what a day may bring forth. Life is fragile. Life is short. The analogy that James gives is, he says, what is your life? It is like a vapor that appears for a little bit and then vanishes away. That breath of air that you do on a cold morning, that's there for just a little bit, and then it's gone. 
That's his analogy, his comparison of what life is. Pastors use it to be four. He drew a line up on the screen with one little dot. And this is our life here on the earth in comparison to eternity. Life is short. Author John Blanchard put it this way. The moment a man is born, he begins to die. And death could come in any moment. Could come by design, disease, disaster, or decay. Man is not here to stay. He is here to go. Stop and think about that a little bit. I'm not here to stay, I'm here to go. Focus on eternity. Now, I'm at the age now where I've learned a couple things. Days are long. Years are short. Days are long. It gets to be about four or five in the evening, and I'm looking at my watch, like three more hours till bedtime, four more hours to bedtime, and I'm almost in tears. So I'm ready for bed now. I'm ready for the kids to go to bed. I'm at that point in time in my life where I look forward to bedtime. All right? And the day seems like it's never going to get done to go to bed. On the other hand, the years are short. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to Charlie Jenkins, and I was reminded of how short life really is. Um, I said, Charlie, where is a... Charlene at, and you go, oh, she's in Missouri visiting uh, Matt, helping him celebrate his 39th birthday. Like, um, there's no way Matt's 39. Um, there's no way. It was just, it was only a couple years ago, wasn't it, that uh, this young man by the name of Michael Sapola, who was working at Taco Bell, invited his friend Matt to come to youth group. That was only a couple years ago, wasn't it? Great story there. Michael was working at Taco Bell. He invited his friend Matt to come to youth group. Matt starts coming faithfully on Wednesday nights. His mom and dad start coming to Colonial Church. Matt accepts Christ on a Wednesday night. That was 23 years ago. How quickly, quickly time flies. Life is short. Life is fragile. Life is fragile. I mean, we're one call away from plans changing. I mean, stop and think about that. My phone could ring at any time. Hey, you know what? Your dad's in the hospital. Doesn't look like he's going to make it. That could be happen. One heartbeat away. From eternity. Life is very short. Now can you get why James starts off with very quickly you need to listen up and you need to pay attention. Life is fragile. Life is short. Be sure that you have a relationship with Christ. Knowing the facts doesn't save a person. Going to church doesn't save a person person. Saying a prayer doesn't save a person. Jesus saves, and it's a having a relationship with him. Not in word, but in faith. Very, very important. And James cries out to the church, be sure 
you have that relationship with Jesus. So there's the assumption of tomorrow was first problem with the plan. The second problem with the plan is this. There's an absence of God. Verse 15 says, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So, we assume there's a tomorrow. Now there's an absence of God. Stop and think about it now. Nowhere in this plan that is in verse 13 is God even mentioned. There's not an acknowledging of his sovereignty. There's not an acknowledging that, God, you have the right to alter, to change my plans. And even as we go through life, how easily do our plans get driven by our selfish desires instead of the Lord's will. It starts at a young age. I was driving the church van home uh, last Christmas time around when they had some practices, and I was talking to the kids. I said, hey, what do you guys want to do when you get older? And, and this was three-quarters of their answer was, I want to be a YouTuber and make lots of money. <laughs> yes, being a YouTuber is a job now. And a professional gamer is a job now. Whew. Hard to believe, but, um, but the point is I want to make there is that, you know what, what was driving them was things, the money, the possessions, things of the self, things of the world. It continues. I had the privilege to sit down with a lot of seniors just graduating from high school and get to ask them about their future plans. Matter of fact, I've done it for probably 20-some years. Just sit down with them and talk. And how many of those young adults going into adulthood, hey, what's your plans? Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to this college. This is what I want to do with my life. This is the career I want to do. And in, all, uh, in, in the talking with a lot of them, there's not a mention of God doesn't mean that God's not necessarily directing them, but, but think about it this way. You know, the Lord has directed me to go to Cedarville College. The Lord has given me a passion to teach. The Lord has provided a scholarship to go here. You see the difference in how the plans work? Seeking God. But there's an absence of God in this model here in James chapter 3. So we have the assumption of tomorrow. We have the absence of God. Third one. Third one. Arrogance. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. The look of what I did, that self-glorifying attitude, for the praise and fame of men. There's arrogance. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we'll call it, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And how easy it is when we live our plan can arrogance arrive, arise. It can come up. And James chapter 5, the first part of it, is kind of gives us a little bit more details uh, of this boasting that is going on um, in these uh, individuals' life. Verse 3 of James chapter 5, it says, you have heaped treasures together for the last days. In other words, you got this big store pile of, of treasure that you're just, you're holding on to. Verse 4, it talks a little bit about their practices 
of how they have acquired this treasure. The hires of your laborer who work for you, who reap down your fields, they have, that you have kept back by fraud. So to get this treasure, he's done some things that are questionable, if you will. Continue. Verse 5. Ye have lived in pleasure on earth and been lacking nothing. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Or in other words, anything you've wanted, you've been able to have. There's not anything that you desire that you could not have. You've just, I want it, I'm going to go get it. Verse 6, you have condemned and killed the just. Look what I have. Look what I've done. Who are you? I'm going to use you to get what I want. I'm going to destroy you, tear you down to accomplish my goal because I am number one. Arrogance. Pride. I am what is important. James says, you are living it up. You are boasting. You are are proud. And this is evil. And he starts chapter 5 out with the same phrase, go to now. Or in other words, listen up. I want to let you know something. God is coming and the boom is coming. He says this, misery is coming upon you. Your garments are going to be moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is going to be rusted. God hears, God knows and the end is coming. The warning to them with regards to the arrogance they have. Go back to James chapter 4. God resists the proud. So, the plan resolve, revolves around assuming that there's a tomorrow. There's no mention of God. If there's absence of God, it, 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 it's tied up with so much arrogance of to look at me syndrome. And finally... The fourth one on the earthly wisdom plan is there is an avoidance of doing good. Verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, what? To him it is sin. Now, a lot of times in our lives, we tend to view sin as doing things God doesn't want me to do. Right? Sin. Lying is a sin, right? Stealing is a sin. Killing someone is a sin. But here in verse 17, we see sin is also when we know God wants us to do something and we don't do it. Throughout scripture, we are called to do good. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do what? Good, especially to them over the household of faith. Ephesians 2.10, after it talks about 2.8.9 2.8.9 says what? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not yourselves is this gift of God, not of works lest any man so boast. So after it talks about salvation, that free gift of God, he goes on to say, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Or here's God's plan for us to do good. So as planners... Have you ever had a day, you've had a pretty busy day, a lot on your plate, a lot of things going on, and you're going about your day, and the Holy Spirit starts stirring in your heart, and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go visit, put the blank, whoever you want in there. You need to call 
you're here at the doctor's office, you see that person over there? I want you to start a conversation up with them. You need to go help this person. I want you to stop, and I want you to pray for this person. See that person, they have a need. Go meet that need. Holy Spirit, ever do that to you? Stir in your heart. Probably something should happen daily in our lives. And I have to be honest with you, there have been times more than I really care to admit that my response to the Holy Spirit and these opportunities to do good has been, I'll do it tomorrow, Lord. Anyone else guilty like that? I'll do that tomorrow, Lord. Lord, uh, talk to that person. I don't like talking to strangers, God. I'm not someone that does that kind of stuff. That's not my personality. Clear leadings from the Holy Spirit that sometimes we avoid doing. Scripture calls it sin. Scripture calls it, it's a hard one. And I gotta be honest with you, sometimes when it comes to life being short, I had a friend of mine pass away about a year ago, and the Holy Spirit told me to go visit with him. Go visit with him. I'll be honest, I didn't. I didn't. I, I wrestle sometimes with forgiving myself. I know God's forgiven me, but I really wrestle with it. Um, avoidance of doing good. So earthly's, earthly wisdom when it comes to planning, we assume there's a tomorrow. There's no mention of God, an absence of God. There's an arrogance about it, and we avoid doing good. Only if it fits into my plans and it's for my benefit. That's earthly wisdom's plan. Now let's go to true wisdom's plan or heavenly wisdom's plan. At Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, put it best. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, next phrase, who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. True wisdom's plan, when it comes to plans, revolves around one central theme, and that is Christ being our life. Life is not compartmentalized. Well, I have Christ, then I have Christ church, then I have marriage, then I have my kids, then I have my finances, then I have my school, then I have my hobbies, then I have my free time. It's not compartmentalized that. Everything revolves around Christ. I shared the example with Michael Serpola. Um, I love when teenagers get it. That was Michael perfect, Debbie? You thought so. Uh, Julie, Julie Shaker had no way. Michael, I got in so many fights. <laughs> uh, just like all teenagers, Michael had his struggles. But one thing I do remember with Michael was that I'm at work, I'm inviting friends. I want to hear about Jesus. When I'm at school, 
I'm inviting friends to youth group because I want them to hear about Jesus. We had one, I think one point we had all the uh, brass section of the Tecumseh band coming to youth group. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, uh, he was an Andrew, if you will, of uh, a disciple of inviting, come see in that aspect. And uh, she's back in the back row, and I'm going to embarrass her just a little bit. When Kim Ackley worked at the New Carlisle Pool, she would invite people that she met at the New Carlisle Pool to come to youth group. So we, uh, we had quite a few students around the New Carlisle area. I want to remind Michael, when he watches this, uh, Kim, all of us, that Christ is our life. That's what we've got to be about doing. Whether it's inviting to church, sharing Jesus with them, Christ is our life. So how do we get to the point where Christ is our life? Where our life revolves around Christ? That's a great question. Well, guess what? We got some answers to. First one is this. We need to ask God. We need to ask God. There's no better way to start our day off than talking with God. I love how David puts it in Psalm. He goes, this is the day that the Lord hath made I will rejoice and be glad in it. Great way to start the day off, right? This is the day that God has made. This is the day that God has given me that he's blessed me with. I don't want to take it for granted. This is his day. Start the day off by preparing our heart. Hey, Lord, you know what's on the agenda today. You've seen the calendar. You know the calendar. You know the appointments, the things I have to do, that I have to go to work, that I have to go to school. And by the way, boys and girls, when you pray, don't go to your mom and dad. Hey, you know what? God, God told me, mom and dad, that this is a non-school day. This is not, that, that, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to work. It might work one time, but it won't work much often than that. But Lord, this is your day. You know what? Let me glorify you. Let me glorify you. As you speak to me through your spirit, one, let me hear, not to be too busy to hear you. Father, let me obey you, because I know you are good, and I know what you're wanting to lead me to is going to grow me to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. So we ask God. Secondly, we align with his will. As we look at our plans we might need to ask ourselves the question, what is driving my plan? Is it the quest for fame? Is it quest for fortune? Is it quest for personal praise? How easily and how much our life gets consumed with setting our affection on the things here on the earth instead of the things which are above we spin our wills, we chase our dreams for things that don't last instead of doing the will of God. I always wonder when a young man graduates and they go into their career how many of them should have been in the pastorate at times? That God is calling them, he wanted them in the pastorate, 
but the love of money has driven them. I know a lot that when they get a little older, 30, 35, like, I haven't been following God. I know several that way. So we ask God, and then we need to stop and align ourselves with his will. If he says, hey, this is not what I want you to be doing, align with his will. Third, as the Holy Spirit leads, as the Holy Spirit, this is what I want you to be doing. This is what I want you to do. Hey, you know what? Call that person. Pray for that person. Go visit that person. Simply answer with a yes. Answer with a yes. Don't put it off till tomorrow because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Answer with a yes. No delays. Okay, God. Got it. I'm on it. And to have a relationship with him that is so close that we can hear that voice, that we can hear the Holy Spirit speak to us. And then finally, abundantly give. Abundantly give. Something happens when we ask God, hey, to be part of my plans. When we decide to align with his will, and as our hearts have the attitude of, yes, Lord, whatever it is, it frees us up to abundantly give. All of a sudden, we have more time to go about doing what God wants us to do. All of a sudden, there is a joy of using the gifts and talents and abilities God's given us for his glory. And then he frees us up to give of our treasure, to meet a need, all because Christ is our life. And I want in this way. Just as James started with go to now. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. And you're not a partaker. You don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. In word you say, yeah, I accepted Jesus when I was eight years old. But there's no relationship. Salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. And if there's a doubt, I would invite you to talk with me, one of the elders, someone in the church, to make sure you know Jesus as Savior. Oh, how tragic would it be to go through all of your life and pretend that you have a relationship and not have it with him. And then when life's final breath comes and you pass away and God says, depart from me, I never knew you. How tragic that would be. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, talk with someone. If there's even a doubt, talk with someone today. Finally, let's make Christ our life. Let's be a church family that's known that Christ is our life. We're not perfect. God is progressing us. There's no way we're going to be perfect. God is continually progressing us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. And let's make Christ our life. At home, at work, at 
at school, wherever he leads, let's make Christ our life. Let's pray, and then I think the worship team is going to come up and close us in a song. God, we stop, and we praise you, God. First, that you know the number of our days, God. Second, that you care enough about us, Lord, to send your son Jesus to pray the price for our sins, Lord. You invite us in to have that relationship with you, God, and you invite us in to grow us, Father, to be more like your son. You invite us to experience, Father, something greater, something more satisfying than all that this world has to offer. And Father, I pray, God, that our hearts, that our lives would reflect your son, Jesus Christ, and we can proclaim, hallelujah, Jesus is my life. For it's his name we pray, amen.